Welcome to Better Roads, a podcast with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Everyone has a story to their journey, and God loves to participate in those stories. Join Randall as he explores another Better Roads adventure. I'm pleased to be talking today with uh, John Geisler, who I would refer to as the passionate and enthusiastic John Geisler. John, would you disagree with me in my description? <laughs> no, I would. No, I, I think that's a good description. John, you live in Sydney, Ohio, and you conduct all of your ministry. Out of the tell, tell people, where is Sydney, Ohio? Well, Sydney, Ohio is the center of the known universe. <laughs> if you were to look at this like from space, you would see that it all starts in Sydney and, no and it kind of yeah, circles out yeah. from there. But, but we're for, in the western side of Ohio. Yes. North of Dayton. Okay. So that, yeah. So for people who don't understand where the center of the known universe is, then you're just <laughs> north of Dayton. And so what, what, couple hours from Toledo, maybe something like that? Yeah. Two hours from Toledo. And uh-huh. uh, maybe under a couple hours of Cincinnati or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So everybody now knows where the center of the known universe is. So <laughs> correct. <laughs> and, and John, uh, you, when I first got to know you, well, you, of course, were pastor of Faith Fellowship. In Sydney, yes. Open Bible Church. John is an Open Bible minister. But there was a transition that was taking place in your life. Uh, it was, it was uh, maybe other people wouldn't see it as well as you would, but you could feel something taking place in the transition. And, and ultimately that led to what is now known today as Agape Distribution, where you are the CEO. So could you share with us a little bit about that journey, this transition that took place from where God first called you to serve and then mm. how that morphed into agape distribution and tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah, well, I was, <clears throat> you know, it started when I was preaching through the book of Matthew and I got to Matthew uh, 25 and I was preaching on the, the judge or studying on the judgment of nations and how the Lord would separate the sheep from the goat nations, the sheep on the right and goat on the left. And how, how the Lord spoke to them and said, when I was th- when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was naked, you know, he did that whole list, and he said, "I came to you." So that was the sheep nations, and I became very convicted when I was studying this that we, as a church, we weren't doing any outreach, any real outreach to meet any of these needs, like water and food and clothing and shelter. So I began a. We began to. I began to lead the board through a little study and said, what can we do? Is there something we could do to change this? And and we started a food pantry. Well, the food pantry seemed to be just the right time. And within a month or two, we were serving 60 or 65 families a month. Uh, within one year, we had our first warehouse and uh, we were serving about 200 families a month. And it just kept growing from there. And, um, and, but it all started with that idea that I felt, I felt that if the Lord is going to judge the nations of the world based upon their compassion on the thirsty, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, how much more, more will, he, will he judge the church? If the church doesn't do something active. So we dedicated a large portion and we dedicated about 20% of our budget uh, from that point on to go towards this, this feeding ministry, but it grew. There was so much of a need that it outstripped our resources. So then I began to think of how am I going to work this? How can I actually make this a sustainable 
program and, and we couldn't sustain it through the church. We just didn't have enough money. So that's what got me into agape distribution and creating a, a nonprofit agency mm -hmm. store to produce a, a sustainable, a sustainability program where we can sustain it by uh, providing goods to nonprofit agencies. Well, a lot of questions I'm going to ask you about this, but I, I want to go back to the headwaters perhaps. Uh -huh. And that was, uh, I think the, First conference I ever conducted when I was in that region, you spoke at a luncheon and you talked about, you shared the story about how the children of Israel plundered Egypt as they departed. It's the first time I've heard anybody share it in the, in, in the way that you did. Why does that passage of scripture mean so much to you? And how's, why does that resonate with you? Could you give us context for that in relation to what you're doing? Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was always bothered as a pastor. We at the churches, we're always looking for, we're looking for money. We're looking for, uh, you know, coats for the winter. We're looking for shoes. We're raising money for toothbrushes and everything. We're always looking for this stuff. And yet there's millions of dollars worth of this stuff available in the world. And um, when the children of Israel left Egypt, of course, they plundered Egypt. But there was a scripture that, that, that Pharaoh spoke to um, to Joseph, and he said this in verse 45, 18 of Genesis, he said, bring your family to the land of Egypt, and I will give the best of the land for your family to enjoy. So it was the wealth of the world being given to the children of Israel to enjoy. Now, the word is to enjoy. So that got me thinking, well, if the world has all this excess product that they can't move, why can't we enjoy that product? And so I began to contact companies and just ask companies, would you donate this? And if you donate this, I'll give you a tax write-off and we'll use it to for the poor and for people that need it. And that's how it started. But it was that idea that the wealth of Pharaoh was given to the children of Israel for them to enjoy. Yes, indeed. So uh, how many corporations do you work with today? Oh, I think our list is about, I think our list is about 38, um, at 38 and about out of the 38, uh, we have national corporations like uh, Dan and Yogurt and Eddie Bauer and uh, Pottery Barn and William Sonoma. And, and we receive truckloads from these companies on a regular basis. Amazon uh, sends us about, uh, about 28 to 40 trucks a month. Are you every month. Did you say a month? <laughs> a month, yes. So oh. we get we get a truck every day, two trucks every day. Wow. Well, you know, a <laughs> lot of churches can relate to what you said, the part about a food pantry. Many churches do that. Clearly, sure. this shot way beyond that. So you're starting to give us an idea of the scope of this, just with the number of trucks that delivered from Amazon. Can you tell us, uh, like, what's the size of your warehouse, your warehouse, and, where, and you also have... Uh, for lack of another expression, I guess it's like a grocery store where people can come who have needs, as in a food pantry. Can you give us an idea of the scope of this thing, how it's grown to today? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, we have we have there are three act three actual operations that take place here. You, you remember the old juggler that used to spin plates on those long sticks? Yes. Yeah, I feel like that yeah, juggler yeah. every day of my life. Yeah, so you. the first the first operation is our free grocery store. Now, the free grocery store, we, we are host to about between 35 and 45 families a day 
that we register and they come in to shop for free. It's just the grocery store, but there's no prices. It just lets them know that they can have, say, two boxes of macaroni and cheese and three packages of meat. So they're limited by size. So that's the first operation. Now, that operation last year was about 3,700,000 pounds of food. It wow. was 121 truckloads. The second operation is the mobile grocery store. Now, the mobile grocery store is a trailer, a 33-foot trailer that's a complete grocery store on wheels. Now, we put that together to serve all of the rural cities within our county. So Shelby County, Ohio, was the first county in America to have 100% food pantry coverage to every community in the county in the United States. Us known as and the we, center of the known universe, and now we know getting yeah. to it. So yeah. <laughs> That's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> now, the, the third part of it, the nonprofit agency store, is a store that we maintain here. It looks like a Walmart or a, just a regular retail store, but registered nonprofit agencies can come in to shop here to receive goods to, for their mission. So if you were trying to do Christmas for the kids, you could come in here and buy the toys at half or a quarter of retail, saving the mission money from the church to be directed for that. That money goes back to fund the food pantry, which costs $1,572 a day to operate. Now, we, we have a 20,000 square foot warehouse that is our main operation. We have another 40,000 square feet where we do Amazon sorting and other things. Then we have another 10,000 feet that we just keep uh, food storage in. So we're operating out of three different locations at the same time. How many, how many people are helping you with all this operation? We have we have set we we have eight employees you know part and full time employees mm -hmm. and we have uh, seventy eight volunteers, so every day we we used we have to have about forty volunteer hours every day to keep the operation running. Yeah, yeah, I I would uh, I know you are a visionary. Did you see all of this, the extent of this, at the beginning? <laughs> No, not at all. I saw a little food pantry and we're giving groceries to people. But what happened as, as I was praying, every step that we prayed, I saw that we were just running out of money. We were running out of resources constantly. And the only way we could handle, get the resources we needed, like the groceries, for example, the only way we could get enough groceries was to bring tractor trailer loads in. Well, then we had to have a warehouse for tractor trailers, sure. but we had to pay for the tractor trailers. Mm -hmm. So we had to have the finances. So the agency store became the, the funding aspect. So as far as funding, we are self-sustaining. We can self-sustain the ministry with no donations if we needed to. Fantastic. So you have a significant footprint in the county. Um, yes. Have I seen something about percentage of people? What did I see? Yeah, uh, we're serving almost almost eighteen percent of the total population of the county. Wow, we serve that is significant. So, uh, so here's the question that always comes up. Okay, You're, you have all these people coming in for free food, and uh -huh. uh, you know the question would be, John, are there people coming there who don't really have needs? You know, people who just taking advantage of the, of the ministry. Um, you know, how do you process all of that? How does that work? Yeah. Well, we have, a, we have about 3% of our, of our registered people that we call chronic. 
Now, the chronics are going to be here forever. They'll never get off. They don't want to get off. They just like to use the system, and that's where they stay. They're just chronic. But one day uh, when I was working here, a young lady came in. She had three children. Um, she was pregnant with her fourth child. Uh, she never finished high school. These Every child had a different last name. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was no, you know, she's just lost. And yes. she's going to be stuck in this the rest of her life unless someone can lift her out. Mm-hmm. And as I was helping her through and helping her load load some things out into the car to take her up to the up the hill, the Lord spoke to me and reminded me that this was somebody's daughter. somebody's daughter over which they had dreamed and they had prayed over her and she made poor decisions to get there. So when these people walk in, I go back to that idea of father God and just uh, an earthly father or an earthly mother. They, they held them, they sang over them, they believed in them Mm -hmm. and where they are today is not where their parents ever envisioned them. And just maybe I can be that, I can be the hope that they would receive through the groceries, but then by praying with them or giving them some literature or directing them to a church, we can change their lives. Amen. That's beautiful. So you have those opportunities. This opens doors for you to talk with people. Every day, every day. Yes. You you live what I would call as a double life. Actually, you live a triple life according to this with the, what you're doing with agape. But it's like you don't want to get bored by just doing agape. I'm being facetious here, of course. You also have been very involved extensively with international travel and ministry. And that has grown over time also, although as we've also discussed previously during this COVID thing, it uh, put a cramp on all of that. But tell us a little bit about how God has also made you flourish in the area of international ministry. Well, you know, the international part was not something, again, that I looked for, but it started back at one of our conferences, the Open Bible Conferences that we had in Toronto, Canada. And that conference, uh, we, we, I was there at luncheon, my wife and I were there, and we saw this pastor standing there, and I introduced myself, and he was uh, Eddie Cacapetum. He's a pastor of a Native American church up in Sandy Lake, Ontario. So we, we went up there to make a visit with Eddie, and that began a 38-year 30, relationship of going up to Sandy Lake and working with the Native Americans. So that that started this this idea that I had something to help them. And then at that time, Dr. Archer was still with us as the director, and we helped to bring the the um, the, the Native American church into Open Bible, and then later Open Bible split, or they divided to create Open Bible of Canada, or Faith Fellowship of Canada. But it took about three years almost to get the Native Americans to do the paperwork, <laughs> to get everything done. And I guided them through the process, and a great f- friendship started. Well, from there, I was asked to go to Haiti and do a little bit of the help and preach in Haiti, which I did. And from that point, then, I was asked to come into uh, Belarus. I was asked to go to Belarus to help in Belarus. Now, this was in 1998. So the, the, you know, the wall had been down for about 10 years. Chernobyl had happened. Uh, there was a lot of children in Belarus that were, you know, that were radiation poisoned and they had uh, a lot of defects. It was just a horrible place. And this little lady came in here to pack clothing to send to Belarus. And uh, I went to Belarus and that began the international. Then from Belarus, 
Belarus. It went over into Russia to help them with some humanitarian aid. It started with humanitarian aid, and then it began. It it, it went into uh, teaching and preaching of how to access the wealth of the world over there to help them do the ministries. And then uh, the next stop was with uh, youth with a mission, and youth with a mission needed some training in mercy ministries, and uh, they didn't have any. They didn't really have anybody doing mercy ministries, and that's exactly what I did. So that opened up the door to about I, about 22 nations for mercy ministries from Dagestan to Pakistan into South America, just a number of interesting locations. Well, that's exciting. It's just so delightful to see how if a person is open and available, God, there's just no limit to what God will do. God will use that Absolutely. person. So yep. um, I said here a couple of times, I referred to you as passionate. John, you're the kind of guy that I think would get excited just from tying his shoes. I mean, you just, it's just, I mean, it's just, it, God's wired you that way. And I love that about you. Yeah. You just, you don't enter anything with halfway anything. It's full bore. But in, in talking to you about being passionate, what really excites you the most? What, I mean, you have so many things, your hands on so many things, but at the core of John Geisler, what really, when you get up in the morning, what, what really is pushing and driving you? What's what's your source of your passion? Uh, it's people. It's people. My passion is people. So when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is sit on the bed and I pray for my wife, who is usually still asleep next to me. And then I sit on the edge of the bed and I pray for everybody that I can think of that needs a healing. And I pray for the people. And then I go out and stand on the porch after I shower and I just look up at the sky and I'll stand there for five or 10 minutes. And I just thank God for this day and, and what I can do uh, to encourage somebody because something as small as a smile or a touch mm. or a prayer or something it can change somebody's life. And for the folks that we, our folks that we serve, um, many of them are just really beat, beaten up by life situations, uh, whether it's their choice or not, or bad choices, that's irrelevant. But if I can come over and just smile with them and just say, hey, how you doing today? And listen to them say, well, not too well. And, and I can say a little prayer for them. It just charges my engine. I'm just so excited. And then the employees and the staff that come in here, the 78 volunteers, being able to talk to them and, and learn what ticks with them and, and to pastor them, if I can put it in that perspective. Yeah. That excites me. That mm -hmm. just really excites me. Yeah. And then I do I do mentoring and coaching overseas. So I'm always on Zoom with somebody, some of the young pastors in uh, Brazil and, and, and Colombia and over in Honduras, uh, um, in, um, you know, Russia, Armenia. We're always online together with them with uh, um, in Pakistan also. And these are the folks, these are young men that I've met over there that are just uh, excited about God and they want somebody that's had experience. And so when I come on, I've walked through so many things with them and we've been together so many times that now uh, we come together and they can ask me about the family or what do I do with this? Or I'm feeling depressed and how do I handle this, Pastor John? And and I can just say, well, you know, you got to you got to slog through it, man. Walk through the mud. And on the other side, Jesus is there. <laughs> but to hear that and to be able to zoom it around the world oh, is wow. just brilliant. Isn't it exciting? Yes. Well, you've never ceased to be a pastor. That God's just expanded your congregation. Uh, yeah, it seems that way. Around the world. So, John, what, as you look back on your life, what were some of the major, or who were some of the major influences in your life, uh, people who've sown into you? And 
Well, the, the first person was was um, uh, Dr. Erickson, Harry Erickson. My He became my pastor and he was my father-in-law also. But uh, when I came to his church after having a, a weekend drunk down at Carnegie Mellon University with some other guys, and um, he preached and I went forward and gave my heart to Christ, that was the biggest change in my life. And then I had lived so long, I lived most of my life for, for the devil with my whole heart. And when I came to Christ, I told him I want to live for Christ with my whole heart. So I just submitted to Dr. Erickson completely and and listened to him. And I still remember because I had long hair down to my shoulders and I had those mutton chop sideburns of the, you know, of the 60s. And, and, and he said to me one day, he said, if God doesn't convict you of those sideburns, I will. <laughs> I can hear him saying so, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I shaved them off. Within about two weeks, you know, I started shortening them, you know, and uh, that was the first one. The second was Dr. Archer, C. Russell Archer. I had come to Dayton Bible College with the intention of going back to work with Pastor Erickson in the church. And Dr. Archer came to me as I was getting close to graduation. He said, we have a church in Troy, Ohio that needs some help. I want you to go there. And and, uh, and I went up there to preach. And, and then he, after about a month, he said, I, I would like you to consider to pray about taking that church. And I, I did. I began to pray about it. But my heart was to go back and work with Dr. Erickson. So after two weeks, I came in and I said, OK, Dr. Archer, I will do this. I will submit to you and, and pastor this church under two conditions. Number one, if I say yes, you must make me stay there for five years. Number two, second condition, if I leave in under five years, you you revoke my credentials. I said, because I, I, I know this is going to be a nasty place. It's going to be hard. And, and I really don't want to do this, but I'm submitting to you because I feel as my as my superior, you understand the church in this. We ended up staying there 11 years, and it was 11 good years. Good years. Well, you use the word wholeheartedly, and that's that's John Geisler. You, whatever you do, you do it wholeheartedly. And, John, we, we call this podcast Better Roads because, uh -huh. as you and I both know, there are many roads we choose in life. You alluded to some of them earlier before you knew the Lord. And yes. you know there are there are there are some of those roads that lead to destruction. There are other roads that we're just so thankful for God's redemption that He you know He pulled us out of those roads. There are roads that maybe maybe we were going on that weren't bad, but God told us I have a better road for you. And those That's roads, right. when you look back. Uh, you and I both have white on the top here of our heads. And, you know, <laughs> so we have the benefit of looking back. You look back and you can say, you know, there were certain roads I took that I know were just so pivotal to where I am today, who I am uh -huh. today, and how God is able to use me today. Could you unpack that a little bit for us in your case? Yeah, you know, for me, it goes back to um, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith, faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, when, when I really began to grab that verse, um, I began to, to understand that um, faith was a substance of a hope or the substance of a dream or if I can use that term interchangeably. So I had this thought that that uh, that my dreams, that God wanted to do something with my dreams. The more I prayed about that, I, I realized he didn't want me to worry about my dreams, but God wanted to give me dreams to dream that I wasn't mm -hmm. dreaming. Good. So he, he began to give me these 
projects or ideas. And, and he gave me one word. He said, all that I want from your life is for you to say yes. If you say yes, I'll do the rest. And then everything that's happened in my life has been at, at, it's as a result of my saying yes to God to do something nobody else has done or to go someplace everybody else was afraid to go. And when I did that, then God opened the door and he supplied for me. Uh, Pakistan, I've never seen, I've, I have never seen healing, so many documented healings as I did in Pakistan among the Muslim people. Okay. And uh, of course, I was thrown out of the country. I was deported and I'm not allowed to be, come back because of, because of blasphemy laws. Uh, but, but we saw healings, you know, and it was just amazing. But it's this idea that if you say yes to God and God's idea, he does the rest. You say yes God does the rest. He'll give you the anointing, the strength, the courage, the finances. He'll put it together if you say yes to God, because that word, yes, for me, is the most prophetic word in our entire mm -hmm. vocabulary. You know, it moves the hand of God. It opens up doors. It changes things in substantial ways. It moves the hands of angels to work for us. It calls into being things that don't exist. And it's all when you say yes to God. And that's that's all I've done. I'm just an ordinary guy that just doesn't want to disappoint my Savior. I want to say yes. And he's done the rest. <laughs> that is powerful preaching, John. And I I'm uh, confident there are people listening today that need to hear that word. Just say uh, yes. Say yes amen. to the Lord. Well, John, I deeply appreciate your making yourself available today and sharing with us about your journey and what's happening. If somebody wanted to learn more about Agape, is there a website or any place they can go to? Yes, they can go to agapedistribution.org. Okay. And they'll be able to see it there. All right. Agapedistribution.org. All right, good. Thanks, John, for being with us. Appreciate it. And thank you. And we thank all of you for joining us today in this edition of Better Roads. Look forward to you joining us next time as well. Have a great day. You have been listening to Better Roads with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Join us next time as we explore how God is part of another person's journey.